1: It's uh, us, Courtney and Amy, I'ma let you fit, <laughs> I'ma let you finish. <laughs>
2: preferred, preferred pronouns, Courtney and Amy.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pantheon podcast fam, what's up? So, do you know what this week is?
2: Um, it's it's Courtney and Amy decide to really pick our little brains and thinks of things that we love that we don't talk about enough.
1: and my birthday (laughs) (laughs) and that but Um, yeah that too both so because it's my birthday week we decided we don't care what's happening in the world we're just gonna talk about some artists and albums that we feel like have been overlooked some could be good some could be bad we love them so let's go amy oh none of them are bad wait a minute well, you know, me. well, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, unless I, you if, talk about a you know, Pia Zadora yeah, record, well, then know, yes, I have some selections that I love that are, what you know, that? oh, bless her heart. All right. <laughs> I know that, 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 you know, I feel like need a second chance at love. <laughs> so, what do you, when you talk, of, when you think about, your favorite bands, right? And not the ones that we always talk about, we though PSB and all of that stuff. Like who are some of the ones that you feel like don't get enough love and attention in, in the music landscape today?
2: Well, it's funny because um, I'll start with something I thought of initially, but I don't want to go into a deep dive and then I'll go into a deep dive with the one. I, you know, Traffic is a group that I grew up with. They were very much a part of my childhood. And yes, I know that they are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So Mm -hmm. obviously I am not talking about some underground. We, You know, this is where, well, it's not where we're introduced to Steve Winwood, Stevie Winwood. Mm -hmm. He was his second group. Mm -hmm. But it was him, Dave Mason, Jim Capaldi. I I just briefly wanted to talk about them and then I'll get into Scruti Politi because I think Traffic is what... What made Traffic fascinating to me and why I still listen to them is that they could go from Low Sparkle High Heeled Boys, which is kind of, you know, rock, but, you know, on a a very kind of expansive level, then to John Barleycorn Must Die, which very much ties into the British Celtic tradition of folk music, um, so they're um, they're kind of all over the place, but in a really good way. And for my money, Steve Winwood, he was Stevie back then because he was a prodigy. He was a teenager. is right. one of the best vocalists that ever lived. So tra- again, Traffic is not some underground. I'm assuming everybody listening to them heard of Traffic, but they get. You don't well, please, no, you, don't. you
1: can't really assume that, because I think that maybe some older, uh, people don't really talk about traffic. Well, that's and what I, I'm saying. And I think that there's older rock guys and pop people from that generation who might be like, yes. But I think if you go to the average person and ask them to name you five traffic songs, they can't.
2: Right. I think, well, that you're. They, thank you. So you are, yeah, you are kind of making the point. Mm-hmm. I think that they're acknowledging the sense that they did get the Rock Roll Hall of Fame kind of you know, stamp of approval, but they're not when you're name checking groups. Yes. And I think part of it is because they didn't have a distinct sound other than the fact that they brought in elements of jazz, brought a rock Celtic. All right. So that's my short one. The one I really want to go into that. I, I, I just feel like it's criminally overlooked, even though they had a top 10 single is Scritti politi. Um, everyone scritty politi is in essence, just green Gar who is, who is the lead singer. And, What's really interesting about Scritti Politti is my first introduction to them was in 1979. They were a post-punk band out of England um, on rough trade records. They were very much not commercial. They were highly, hugely political. I believe they may have been Marxist or even communist, and they very much were coming out of that same world that like, Gang of Four came out of. A very if 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 you were to listen to screwdie Flitty of 1979 1977 excuse me 1977 you wouldn't even know it was the same group so a, right. a much a, a very influenced by punk but not in a catchy sex pistols way very but just an interesting group all right so they they do that and green guardside again is is the main guy um and then they sort of, they may have put out smaller stuff I wasn't aware of, it, but in 1985, they sort of come back. And this is the, 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 the song and the era where most of us became familiar with them, which is Cupid, Cupid and Psyche 85.
1: Yeah, that's when I became aware of them. With wood bees, pray like Aretha Franklin. I love that song and
2: and perfect way. Yeah, and perfect way. So now they are. And that was
1: on what soundtrack was that on? Because that really helped with perfect way. I was on a soundtrack which really. It's very possible in a moment.
2: And so now you have them very much tapping into a New York City kind of sound, a lot what New Order did, you know, a very electro pop kind of sound. And suddenly Green Guardside, mm-hmm. who has a really lovely falsetto, a kind of like a soulful falsetto, is singing in the upper range. And and now you've got, it, I think the album was recorded in New York, but now you have a very pop-friendly synth pop record, um, which if you watch the Sparks documentary, you can see the, the the trajectory from Sparks to this. So this is like a big, big, big hit record. It establishes them. He then appears on the BEF, uh, British Electric Foundation compilation, which is the guys from Heaven 17. And he does the most exquisite version of Stevie Wonder's I Don't Know Why I, I Love You. It's just, mm-hmm. ugh. Every time I have heartache, I listen to it. Okay, they disappear for seven years, again. And then he co- he comes back with an album, late 80s, but it's not really a big hit. And then in 1999, he comes back with the record. And again, it's pretty much just him at this point, which to me is- They him. had a
1: lot of past members, so I can't even keep up yes, who was that? that's what I'm saying. It's no. pretty
2: much like him and, and somebody, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? In ninety nine he comes back with a record which for my money is one of the best albums ever made, full out. And it's called Anna Me and Bone Hummy. And mm-hmm. it is it, it features Michelle and Deggiocello, mm-hmm. Most Deaf, when he was still going under the name Most Deaf. It's rock, it's funk, it's hip hop. I, I actually um sort of friendly with Michelle and a lot of friends of friends, and I saw her once, and I, I said to her, you know, I love the stuff you did on that album, and she said, that was one of my most favorite sessions ever to do. Um, so that is a great record. You know, never sold anything, but it's, I think you would love it, Courtney. It is. I, so- my
1: friend Raquel is obsessed with Scritty Politti. She yeah, and that album- loves Scritty Politti.
2: Um, even the you know squirty politi means I believe it's it's sort of a, an Italian Marxist term. So, but anyway, it's a it's one of my favorite albums. I mean, it it is not, and it's these beautiful soulful vocals, these kind of funk hip hop beats. And then in '99, the last record they put, also put out a greatest hits or sort of a re a rewind to the older stuff, which is great. And then and in two thousand and six, he puts out White Bread Black Beer. Just just great. so what I love about them, I love his voice I love his voice, but I just love the fact that I love bands that sort of like read the room without redecorating the room you know what I mean like he he sort of is keeping abreast of what's going on but it never sounds like somebody pretending to be something they're out So he's a great songwriter, great singer and I, I just cannot I mean if you have to pick up one record, pick up um, Anomi, and I'm probably mispronouncing it, and Bonami, but it, they were much more than Perfect Way and Would Be, and those are and, great songs. And those are they great songs, ended, but they're they are not even ended there. Yeah, but know? the thing about
1: it is, those two songs are so not indicative of their catalog, you know what I mean? Right. So they have those hits, and I think part of the issue was, nothing else, you know, people, when you have a hit, especially at that right. time in the music industry, they want everything to kind of follow in that vein and figure that right. thing. They're like that period of Everything But The Girl. Every album was so oh. different. It's it like it's hard to say what kind of music they were because each album was just, they just I love that they explored sounds and textures. Boys, and, yeah. I mean,
2: we, we said, we, but the same thing. I mean, that's yeah. the stuff that we love. You can have a signature sound without being tied down to it. Right. And so I, I I just love them. So I, I, I always go back and listen to that album. So that's 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 my first one. So I'm br- I'm I'm myself.
1: Well, my you know my first one is the a group based out of a, 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 you know Pennsylvania and New York, and that's Book of Love. And Book of Love started oh in
2: 1983. My God. Hold, okay, hold on. What the fuck? Whoa, whoa, whoa.
1: The thing whoa. is, I think <laughs> that they have been largely forgotten. Yeah. And they were a group back, you know, their reign was from, you know, they're, they're back performing. They, they reformed in like 2013. But in 1983, this was a group on their, especially on their first album, and in and, and their subsequent albums, they were talking about sexual identity and gender roles and all of the things that we kind of call queer and it's under that umbrella now. That's what they were talking about in 1980. You know what I mean? In the 1980s. And I just think that um, their music is the kind of music that was always appreciated, like by music supervisors. So it was used on film and different stuff, but they never really had a commercial success. And you know, when you're a band like that and you're singing, especially back then, about anything that had to do with gender identity or sexuality, all their hits basically were on the dance chart. I was Nobles. gonna
2: ask you, I mean, because I'm I'm having sort of a visual in my mind. Were they on Sire? Were they one of those? Yes, groups, They were or? on
1: they they were and that's just it. They were on major labels, you know what I mean? Yeah. They went through they were on Warner Brothers, Sire, they were not right. an indie label, and they have great, great, great music. That listen, that first album, yeah, they were on to- Sire Reprise Warner Brothers, and that first album was amazing.
2: Yeah, Scritty Pudding was on Atlantic and Virgin, so these are not scrambling underground labels. Yeah, no, wow. these are
1: like real artists doing real things, and I think people should dig back into the catalog, wow. okay. past you know, past Boy, which everybody knows because 16 years after its original release, it was remixed for the clubs by Peter Rayhoffer and became a huge international club record. And okay. you know, people know Roses, but like they, they really, if you dig in. They, they're, you know, Pretty Boys and Pretty Girls is talking about the AIDS epidemic. They, they just, they were talking about things that a lot of people get credited for speaking about now, but they were in the forefront, but because they had no hits. Right. And, but they, they're one of those bands that has a following. When they do shows, people come to their shows. But they don't have that level of, a claim that i think they should have within the gay community because they were really out there talking about they
2: didn't have a big video presence you know what i mean which was really key back then too right and they did
1: and they did have videos but you know again that they when you get treated almost like the niche act because of what you're talking about right your rotation is going to be different than madonna who was a provocateur but she was the queen at that point. She was new, it was, she was the moment. So you're right. not gonna not play her stuff. And she was pushing that envelope. But when you're in a smaller act and pushing that envelope, it can almost seem a little too queer and weird at the time. So you well, get you get the weird times where your video is playing. Or this is when local video shows, which I used to work local video when I first got to Columbia, become very important because they were the ones to help break those acts. And, remember the good old days of college radio book of love would be a co- what we would call a college radio That all of those radios would, co- all of those records would be sent to the college
2: well day. i mean you know and then it's one thing to be a highly fuckable straight white woman talking about those issues and a bunch of queer guys i mean you know that's that's the reality is that somebody is going to deliver a message it's the same reason why bronski only had one hit or the common arts only had You know, there's a limit to how much, no matter how open-minded people are, who they want to hear the message from. Wow, I haven't heard that name in a really long time, so I'm going to have to go back and
1: uh, go back and dig in, like yeah, yeah, dig past "I Touch Roses" and boy, everybody knows that. you know what I mean.
2: It's Uh, it's one of those groups. I think as soon as I hear it, I'm going to remember, but off the mm -hmm. top of my head, I can't think of anything because nobody talks about that. As soon as I hear it, and Ted
1: is great. I've met him through Bill because you know everybody knows Bill. Everybody knows Bill. It's That's like,
2: going to be the name of our new sitcom. It's going to be called Everybody knows Bill. knows
1: Bill. It's true. mentioned his name, and I was like, oh, my God, I oh love Bill. It. I'm Bill like, Paul, we're yeah. like, yes, we know, we know.
2: Yeah, we know Bill. Okay. Everybody friend of Bill. Bill. That's what they call people in AA. Right,
0: right. friend of Bill.
2: <laughs> we're friends of Bill, but without right. that part of it. Right. Um, <laughs> all right, so I, I do have a sort of soft spot. Well, I have, it's not even like, I, I do have a soft spot for soul music and for R&B, and I do harbor a sort of soft spot for the way that the Brits kind of uh, look at it and tweak it. And we did a show on this, like sort of the way that, that the British handle, uh, you know, what is considered a, a pretty American genre, which is r and and soul. So in 2007, there's a young Scottish singer, uh, Paolo Nutini, who I was assumed was Italian, but he's Scottish, which is kind of, I guess, ridiculous thinking that if you're from Scotland, you can't be from somebody else. Right. And he was sort of pegged as a next big thing, like him and then a little later on James Morrison. You remember James Morrison? Yeah. You, mm-hmm. you hear his music all the time in, like, supermarkets, which mm-hmm. is, or Target or something like that. Anyway, so Paolo Natini was not only pegged as a next big thing, he was given um, the blessings of Ahmed Erdogan uh, who was the then head of Atlantic Records, or maybe he wasn't still head of Atlantic, but he is one of was one of the most powerful and influential tastemakers in music and and predominantly in in Black American music, you know. But the Atlantic Records, so he put out a record Paolo Lautini called "These Streets" in two thousand and seven, um, and there was a single called "Rewind," which is sort of a, a mid tempo the title track and then the, the big sort of hit and I'm using big qualitatively because he was always bigger in, in Europe and, and in England and in Scotland was new shoes, which is kind of a weird song. Cause it's kind of this poppy weird kind of, it, it's sort of kind of an odd song to become a single. What, what makes him compelling to me? Um, and he went like platinum, multiple platinum again, mm-hmm. mainly overseas. But he platinum is platinum. Um, what makes him compelling to me, and where you really see it in in his record "Caustic Love" in two thousand and fourteen, this is a kid who fucking can sing. I mean, he. Right. It's a very weird line that white singers who are influenced by black music have to tread. You you have to show your influences without being without mo- mimicking, you know what I mean? You don't want to be that person who is so clearly, desperately trying to get in uh, cred. And he was always very interesting for me because he very much came out of that soulful rock category, but he was never trying too hard. It wasn't. He wasn't lumped in with the whole neo-soul, but yet he was very soulful. And Caustico, he disappeared for a long time I've read that he, you know, um, is very um, anxious. We've talked about that. He was someone who didn't like performing live, had problems, you know, with live performance and success. He comes back in 2014 Excuse me, with caustic love, which is a great record, which was completely overlooked, and it has the song Iron Sky. Which, if you can find the live version of it, there's like an Abbey, you know, recorded Abbey Road version. It's just like super powerful, super powerful singing. And, um, number one in the UK, he won an Ivor Novella award for songwriting, which is the award that Amy Winehouse wrote. So Mm -hmm. this is like the serious songwriting award and he was nominated for three Brits. So Paolo Nutini, um, and he's really cute. I know that has nothing to do with anything, (laughs) but I just figured I'd throw that out there. Um, which doesn't hurt. I mean, if you're going to listen to somebody, they might as well be. Nice to look at too. But great singer, just a really an undersung. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, he's worth checking out. He's worth checking out.
1: My next one is a Harlem-born singer who I don't feel like people talk enough about when we have conversations about great vocalists, and it's Patty Austin. You oh, know, good for you, Patty. You. Here, Patty. I'm
2: going cla- <laughs> to clap for you.
1: Patty Austin to me is, it's hard to call her underappreciated because she's had a very long career and she's sang so many different genres, but people need to give Patty Austin her flowers. That woman is, is, her vocals are just, they're they're pure and they're beautiful. Her, Her Quincy Jones produced album, Every Home Should Have One is gorgeous. Yeah, It's gorgeous, you know what I mean? And it's just like, that's when I think most people, because she'd been around for a while, she's a, been a background singer, session singer, jazz vocalist, she's had songs when she was a teenager. But this was the one I think, you know, with Baby Come To Me, her duet with James Ingram, that right. shot her to the top of the pop charts. Right. And then they had the other duet, How Do You Keep The Music Playing, I believe it was. but. Um, she just Patty Austin needs to be spoken about, and you know I got I'm going to give it to all a couple of black ladies in this and put them together as vocalists, and I hope people remember and go back into their catalogs. Patty Austin, Angela Wimbush, yeah. who was who wrote and produced, produced for other artists and produced her stuff, does not get enough of her flowers, and another amazing book, Shirley Murdoch who was an uh, amazing and Vesta Williams. amazing, yeah. amazing singer. who are not spoken about enough when we talk about great singers. And I hope that people, especially if you love really great R&B, and I'm not going to even diss today's R&B singers, right? Because I do believe there are some really good young singers. But when you listen to these women's voices, it's different than a lot of these girls today there's a there's a richness there's a deepness and they all sound very uniquely different like yeah. it's it's like what you said on one of our earlier shows when we were talking about the Normani song and I was talking about how I liked it and you were like yes I do too but if I heard that I wouldn't know that was her and 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 I get that because I liked it seeing it first with the visual and it connects me to the song but I wouldn't know that was her if I just heard it on the radio cuz that could be a lot of those girls. Yeah. But if I hear Patty Austin's voice on something, I'm like, that's Patty Austin. You know what I mean? If I hear Shirley Murdoch's voice on something, I'm like, that's Shirley Murdoch. Like these women all sounded different. And Patty to me is just, you know. She had the Quincy stamp of approval. You know, they say that her godparents were Quincy Jones and Dinah Washington. Not to that, I mean, that's a circle of She's you're on that big Quincy, uh,
2: that big Quincy, uh, what was the name of that back yep, on the yep, block, right? Yes,
1: she's on, she's on that album. And the dude. And those moments are kind of when people really started saying, Who's this woman in her vocals? You know, she sang Razzmatazz. and right. just I I want people to go back and dig into Patty's albums, especially her. Every home should have one, and the Patty Austin album, and literally her her cover and single of Alison Moyer's "Honey for the Bees" is great, and she sounds great on it.
2: I think it's funny because I'm thinking as you're talking, I'm talking about Patty Austin. I'm thinking about Mickey Howard. I'm thinking about oh, Regina right. Bell. All I of think them. That, I think these women. I mean, this is very much. I I always say that there's 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 black music that gets steered commercial aka white and then there's black music that and it's not a bad thing but stays in a kind of lane where it's an uh, it's appreciated by a more select audience and i think all of those women patty austin phyllis hyman all of these women there was a maturity to them even when they were younger. Mm-hmm. And I Angela
1: Beaufeld. Anto- uh-huh. you know and I mean? yeah. it's a
2: jazzier influence. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not made for well, dance not, music.
1: Yeah. Even though they do, they all of them have each done up tempo moments and given you that moment. But right. what it is with these ladies is you can tell, they are singers. They're not following trends. They're, they're not,
2: singers. They're
1: not making albums being like, all right, well, I need the hottest producers because right. I need to do this. They're not being like, throw the latest rap. And listen, I get there's some people that is what they had to do. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like, And I feel like no one did that better for a period than, you know, Mary. But Mary was kind of in a hip hop lane. But Mariah, Mariah, especially those early hip hop collaborations, she did it right, right? But then it became almost like the standard after that. Do you remember there was that whole period in R&B where everybody had to have a rapper on their oh, song? Oh god, it's like of you, course. Just, you just no, couldn't of course. have. A I mean, R&B that was moment. like
2: that was your ticket to success, yeah. you know? It was like, so these women, yeah. I mean, these are these are oh God, we could do a whole this on that. I mean, Angela Winbush alone, for Christ's right. sake, she produced this Isley Brothers, okay? She was—is she still married to Ronald Isley, or she was married to Ronald? I Isley? don't think
1: they—they're not married anymore. But, but yeah, she,
2: Renee and Angela. I mean, come on.
1: She produced she, Janet Jackson's first album.
2: Right. You know well, what I mean? Just. Um, I want to get it's, it's so. I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Which I say to you know to Janet fans, songs like "Young Love" and that beginning is that still holds a place in our heart. And it's like, you think about her being a black woman at that time producing and We need to do a a real show on female producers because there's so many that have been producing for a long time. And people make it into this oxymoron of women writing and producing. But there are groups of women, like people don't realize Cheryl Lynn was producing her albums. You know what I mean? There were people, women, like, Bobby Gentry was writing and producing. her. So I want us to really get into that because I think there's this thing where people don't realize women have been turning it out and chiming it out for a minute. Yeah, but gee, I wonder shit. why
2: they don't get the recognition. Let right. me think. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It'll come <laughs> to me. Wait, why don't women get the recognition and are treated to a different standard than men? I don't know. Let me think about it. I'll call right. you later. It'll it me. Comes S- you'll call you S- yeah, S- yeah. let me think if I can think about it. Well, it's yep. really funny. I was going to mention, oh, I'm sorry, continue. So
1: the, what no, no, saying? no, So, 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 so I, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I want these ladies, especially these black women, who have these phenomenal voices, who had hits at a period of time, we don't talk about them anymore. It's like we go through who are the best. Yes, we know Whitney Houston was an amazing singer. We know singer, those women, yeah. But she wasn't the only amazing singer. You know
2: who I was thinking about, because I saw her or something? Leela James, remember her?
1: That's a singing girl. That's, that's a, a singing, singing girl. That's a singing girl, honey. <laughs> that is a She's singing. singing girl. <laughs> She's sing- and you know, that's another one you're disappointed. You know, she was on Warner Brothers and
2: she was going to be the next big thing.
1: And and a lot of times when those first records, albums don't work, uh, unfortunately, with, with with black artists, especially who fall in the r lane. Black yeah, women. black women. They don't get that second chance and then you're kind of like, maybe you get a second album, maybe no. they put it out, maybe they don't. Then you start that you know, maybe yeah, let's independent do going down the road. So yeah. many of
2: them. Well, it's so funny. Talk as you were talking, there were two groups I was going to talk about, but suddenly I went, I want to go way left field for a second because I was going to talk about the divinals. But I mean, the divinals, the they're a great group and stuff. And Singh, but the, I they-
1: had pulled out. It's so funny that you said that because I was like, Maybe I should talk about this in this album. (laughs) All right. Well, then hold it, because I want to chime
2: in about the the divino. But Mm -hmm. I just decided, because I was thinking about him the other day, to talk about Amp
1: Fiddler. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yay, I got
2: the reaction I wanted. Okay. So Amp Fiddler, first off, one of the great names ever, one of Mm -hmm. the great stage names ever. So Amp Fiddler is a Detroit guy, um, was always sort of, he's very instrumental in sort of helping to mold the Detroit hip hop scene, Jay Dilla, he was a mentor to a lot of these guys. Mm -hmm. People probably first became familiar with him, or I did in 1990, he had a group called Mr. Fiddler with his brother with an album called With Respect, which I love this album so much, and this is like astounding, Um, I couldn't find my copy of it anywhere, and I Uh actually bought it. I never do that. (laughs) I never buy CDs. And it was sort of like a Dr. Buzzard-ish kind of vibe, like, Mm. you know, gangster kind of, like, fun, playful, 40s, 50s. So he's a multi-instrumentalist. He's a singer. He's a songwriter. Um, He played for years in George Clinton's In Parliament Funkadelic. He was Mm. a keyboard player. Like the nicest guy in Nice Town, His next, he so that's 1990. Then he put out Waltz of a Ghetto Fly, which is a great album, which did really, which did well in the UK, but not amazing. Um, he works with Raphael Sadiq. He works with a lot of people. Afro Strut in 2006, again, gets attention in the UK, nothing here. Then he puts out a record in 2008 called Inspiration Information with Sly and Robbie, who were the consummate, uh, reggae rhythm section. Yeah. Um, so that's great. He's made a bunch of records since. He's got Motor City Booty. He has stayed, um, I guess his biggest single, and I'm saying this biggest single in the world that we live in, would be I Believe in You, which very much kind of has, um, it's just, I, I can't describe his movement, which I should, I guess I should because that's what I was paid to do at some point. Um, but he's, he's a producer, he's a songwriter, he's a keyboard player, he's a singer, he's funk, soul, dance, electronic. He worked with the band Enchantment. He worked with, like I said, Parliament Funkadelic. And I saw him perform, oh, this is why he came up, because I met somebody who used to work at SOBs. And I remember seeing him at SOBs, which was the size of a like a- I used to horse. love seeing
1: shows at SOBs, yeah. great.
2: He was fucking phenomenal! He was great. I mean, he's just up there and he got this nice little band and stuff. So I, I just sort of thought about him. I went, Amp Fiddler is somebody who, if you know him, you know him. If you don't know him, you don't, you should know him. You right. know, just a very behind the scenes guy. And, I, and I've always liked him a lot. So he's, he's someone definitely worth checking out.
1: Well, my next one is someone who was part of a very famous band but didn't really have the solo success uh, that Chavez, had. no but close <laughs> it does begin with a j it's jane weedlin i'm a big jane j- weedlin fan
2: i just saw that documentary the other day by the way yeah. did you see it
1: yeah i did see it mm-hmm. fucking great yeah i'm a big jane we jane weedlin fan and i think that, you know, her solo work has been a little bit shit on, you know, Blue Kiss was a great song. Blue Kiss should have been a hit, and it wasn't. The first album should have been a hit. She never really had a hit album. You know, she had one hit song with Rush Hour, which was from the second album. And cool,
0: and
2: cool places.
1: But it wasn't really a hit. That was the thing. It wasn't really a hit for her. And, and I, you know, for her third album, she had this song called World on Fire, which I love, 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 love. I just love her. And I think that she's gotten, you know, the albums haven't really brought out what I think is the best of her talents because she's an extremely talented person. And I think when you go back and you listen to some of them, you could tell a little bit the producers were trying to fit her into a mold sometimes. Yeah. But I love her voice. I think the solo work is unappreciated. And I still will pull out, you know, goodbye, cruel world, and sometimes you really get on my nerves. And you know, I'm trying I to really see, like I'm trying songs. to look
2: where cool places because I know it was on I mean she did American Bandstand, so that always kind of makes me but I hear what you're saying. I mean, I again I think I think for women, look, oh, I mean we could do I think for women, and I could just stop the sentence right there. But she came out of, you know, she left the go-go, she quit the go-go. So that is something uh, significant, to quit a band when they're really, really doing um, Yeah, but she also well. came out
1: after Belinda's solo. And you know how they usually go with bands, because I've worked in that situation. If they let one be a hit, especially at radio, they're really, it, especially back then, it was really shady. It's like, well, we're not, two of you guys can't be a hit. Right. <laughs> and we already have the hit. <laughs> well,
2: because, because she was, you know, Belinda was the front person and she was, very, and I think also Jane, I like Jane Whedland too, but I think her persona was sort of kind of cutesy and I don't know if they thought they could do the same. I, I don't know. She, and she also co-wrote um, Our Lips Are Sealed with Terry Hall.
1: Yeah. So, she wrote a fantastic a bu- song. And, you know, she b- wrote a bunch of things and, you know, and, and got her share of the publishing for writing those things and that. Caused a little bit of tension too, but you know when you write something.
2: Well, her and Charlotte Caffey. Oh yeah, that's the mm-hmm. best part. That documentary is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just looking. That documentary is like so. So I'm just looking here, like to see, like, all right, our lips are sealed. Went to number twenty, mm-hmm. um, and then Cool plays a solo career. She had four albums. Wow, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Um, it see, really that's really the thing.
1: Nobody realizes she had four <laughs> albums.
2: Yeah. She was in another band, maybe because it was a duet with Sparks, maybe Sparks gets the credit for the hit, the success of Cool Places. Not the credit in the terms that they wrote it, but because she's a featured artist on this, right. so they might list it as, because it was certainly Sparks' biggest single in right. this country. Mm-hmm. Um, no, oh, that's a really cool record. Yeah, she's cool. Um well, I want to talk about Texas, not the state, because the state of Texas is Once incredible. in a lifetime, Texas? Once in a lifetime, Texas, mm-hmm. and and say what you want, Texas, and uh, in our lifetime, yes, yeah, summer, sun. The state of Texas is horrible. The band, Texas, is another Scottish group. What's in the water in Scotland? <laughs> um, you know, home of Franz Ferdinand, too. Um mm. So Texas is, again, a group that's a, a group, but mainly one person who is Charlene Spiteri. Wonderful vocals. They've been around since 1989. Didn't they put out um, a new
1: album recently? Their first one yeah, in years? Yeah, they're still kind of yeah. like,
2: yeah, back. I first became aware of them. Um, uh, I was o- overseas. They're really, it's one of those groups, again, really big in Europe. Never They had a hit here. In Our Lifetime was... a. Uh, in 1999 was an MTV hit. Very beautiful woman, uh, played guitar, wrote the material, great sound. So they had 1989 Stateside, and then their, probably their bigger album was 1997, White on Blonde, with Say What You Want. Um, the Hush in 99 is In Our Lifetime, and Summer Sun. And they, they have come back over the years. I think that she got married and had a kid um, and focused on real life for a while. And decided to come back. They're a band you'll see pop up on like Jules Holland show, and I just always thought she again, you know, that voice. There are certain voices. Her voice, Christina Amphlett from the Divinals, You know, it's them. There is no denying that that's Charlene Spiteri. There's no denying that's Christina Amphlett. There's no denying there's Chrissy Hahn. You know, certain singers, but we're talking about women. Just like boom, that's that's that. You know, And I I cannot be mad at anybody who carves out uh, a signature. So they're a good kind of new wave, post-new wave rock band with with very much with pop sensibilities. And so Texas, not the state. We hate the state of Texas right now, but the band Texas. So a great, and named in homage to the uh, mythical images of Texas. So yeah, I like them a lot.
1: Well, my last thing is, listen, this is not a great album. <laughs> oh, my God. you you
2: know, it's not me, it's, it's you.
1: A, it's not a great <laughs> album. It is an artist who deserved better, but I always think it is worth a go-back listen because it's an artist in peak form of her voice, and that is Mary Wilson's 1979 solo album for Motown, where you really kind of feel like, she got fucked over by Motown because the whole album is, all the music and lyrics are written by Frank Busey and Jean Duarte. Who? Exactly, right?
2: Okay.
1: So, (laughs) and and I'm sure there are producers and writers that people know, but it was a disco album. And it was a disco album that was released literally a month after the big Kaminsky part Disco sucks. Disco oh, is Lord, dead. Oh, so Lord. she got caught in the moment of her first solo record coming with the backlash to disco music. So it what never stood was a the, chance. What
2: year was the album?
1: 1979.
2: And then a year le- later, a year later, her former bandmate Diana Ross comes out with a dance record, but was Chic.
1: Right, and so <laughs> the thing is, you know, it's it's good because her voice sounds so great. Mm-hmm. It's like bad disco song. She has this one Red Hot where you're like, "Okay, and that was the single." You're like, "Like, you like you you Mary Wilson. Why are you singing this? Like, why didn't they give her better material?" But, I think people should check it out just to hear her voice in great shape. It's like those 70s Aretha's records that weren't hits, but it was probably during the peak of her vocal power. So there's some songs that are shitty songs, but she sounds so great and her voice is so powerful, it's hard, like the La Diva album. That album's pretty terrible, but her voice is so in top form that there's some great songs on there because she is at her vocal peak. In, a great artist yes. can
2: elevate shitty material. You know
1: what I mean? In 1979. So I, I think people should check it out again, just to give a little Dim- redemption to Mary, because, you know, a lot of people don't know, when we think of songs like Someday We'll Be Together, Diana Ross and the Supremes, the Supremes aren't singing on that song. People don't realize no. that. That was supposed to be, actually, it was recorded as Diana's, it was supposed to be her first solo song, and that's why they threw it on that album to have her a hit. And Love Child, the Supremes aren't, the Botown the, the backup singers are singing that. They're not singing on those songs. So I think we should give Mary some love. I think go back and listen to her solo work, because we definitely know this is her. And, you know, there are a couple of gems on here. Like if you Like, if you like a good, sassy disco song, 80 years later, pick up the pieces. Or, <laughs> you make me feel so good. Or things like... Even the titles are giving wait, me... Adida. Wait, wait, yeah. Midnight Dancer.
0: <laughs>
1: I wonder how long it took them to wait, come wait. up with that. I've got what you need. So, you oh, know... You <laughs> so, we got to uh, give it to Miss Mary. We got to give it up. I her. mean,
2: in Mary's defense... Uh, mm-hmm. She wasn't sleeping with the head of the label,
1: right? So, um, right. You
2: know, she was the better singer. We all know mm-hmm. this—that her and Florence, and then Cindy were the better singers. Mm-hmm. But you know, she didn't. She didn't bite her tongue. So I'm sure when it came down for her contractually obligated solo record, they were like, "Here, here's my third cousin on my uncle's side of the. That's, what it, feels, right, couple of songs that's what it feels. That's
1: actually what it feels. Well, and the original thing was Marvin Gaye was supposed to write and produce her album, I believe. And then wow. something happened and he couldn't do it. He got, something happened. Okay. No, okay. uh, no, it wasn't the, co- but something actually, I can't remember what was it that happened. Wow,
2: that's crazy.
1: And then I think it was Smokey Robinson was also supposed to do it and something uh. happened. But, but you know, that was back when he, but he was writing the hits. Like, right. I'm sorry, she needed the, where are, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Diana, even though Diana's first album, solo album, the first songs, you know, didn't all the way blow up. But Mary deserves better. Uh, right. We You should all check this record out. They've, they, it's been released in an expanded edition with remixes and things. So I'm oh, afraid. Good. Oh, good. Because I want to hear a
2: longer version of the song you said <laughs> called, <it sucks. laughs> Wait, called
1: Red Hot. I've got what you need. Oh
2: Lord, <laughs> mercy. all right. On that note, hopefully we have you know. There's nothing more that two people who love music love to talk about than music. We really don't want to talk about the world because we hate the world. We love mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. So I hope everybody you know check some of these uh, artists out. I mean, we could do shows like this every month because there's always somebody that you know. Um, didn't get the love, you know the people, we love stuff that's commercial, -commercial non-commercial, we just love music, so thank you for that. And on these R&B
1: nights, y'all, just go back there, dig out some Patty Austin. Like, she's good if you're at the beach house, she's good if you're playing music in the morning and you're cooking and the kids are outside or you're sitting chilling, and you got some wine going and you roll a split and you put on Miss Patty Austin, you have a full moment. She'll give you a life, and if you're feeling a little randy and you want some girl rock, dig into Jane Wedlund. She had some good shit. She really did. And dig back into Book of Love and have your queer. All of you, the, there's so much and out there. Scritty, you know, politic, yeah.
2: You know, a great, you know, a great fusion of dance, pop, rock. Um, all these groups.
1: I mean, Dub. These it's, groups, it's, 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 it's a good
2: hot All these groups. You know, the best thing you can say about somebody is that they is that they're both familiar but not uh, redundant. And these all these artists brought their own thing. All right, give them our beautiful tagline because you do this like nobody else.
1: Well, you guys know. <laughs> Please follow us weekly on uh, our Instagram at I'ma let you finish in why or our Twitter for all of you people who are really angry at the world, at Finish IMA. and if you're like us and your AARP showed up without you applying for it, follow us on Facebook, and I'm going to let you finish all one word. And, and, the, fu-
2: and the funeral <laughs> plot, the thing for funerals. Right.
1: and the things for funeral plot. That was like, I don't ah. know, there's a, this is a generational gay thing, and my American gays will all know this. You never sign up for it. But if all of a sudden, in the 80's and the 90s, all of a sudden the, mag- the, the men's shopping magazine, international mail just starts showing up at your house. It's like it's the, it's the first time I don't know if they, uh, I don't know if <laughs> there was a mental scan if you walked into a gay bar or something. all Wait, of a sudden, this? there's something you never signed up from and everybody'd be like, I have a friend who used to order things from there and be like, I got the shirt and I got these pants. It was the same
2: thing for Victoria's Secret for Women because I never (laughs) signed up for that All of a sudden it it was like, how
1: am I getting this? And then I'd be looking at the bulges of the bit. But that's a whole other story. Please. So (laughs) you know the deal. Follow us weekly. We're also on the main feed of the Pantheon Podcast Network where there are a lot of other amazing music shows. You like music. There's a scripted or non-scripted show for you, just every subject, every type of music. So remember to go to Pantheon Podcast. They're also on, on Facebook and on the web and on IG, on Twitter. Follow us. We're everywhere. You know, you can listen to us on iHeart, on Google, on Deezer, on Spotify, on Apple, just megaphone. We're everywhere. We appreciate you. We love you. It's my birthday this week, so it's a COVID, so, you know, no turn up. But I will turn up by getting a um, mani Petty, and that will be my turn up. Love you guys. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Deuces.